Hi, I'm Harry. Hello, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. Today we're going back to hell. We are, well, I don't think Doom 1 was technically set in hell, was it? Spoilers, it's Doom Annihilation we're doing today. We are getting our asses to Mars mm-hmm. once again, although this is the moon of Mars, Phobos. Exactly. I think what we're trying to say is if one of us ends up in hell, then this film might have prepared us for that. Oh, yes, it's like a worst-case scenario handbook yes, it's, for it's, what to do if you end up in a hellscape. Mm, it's, sh- it's the video shown on the flight to hell. <laughs> <laughs> sort of what to expect. The brace position as you enter a portal to a demonic land. Exactly. Um, anyway, I'm excited to be here. Um, I uh, think one of our first episodes, episode three or so, we did Doom... 2005? I was going to say Doom full stop. (laughs) (laughs) Not Doom exclamation mark. No. Doom! Yes, we did 2005's Doom with The Rock, Carl Urban and Friends. Yes, The Rock is kind of our podcast talisman. He seems to appear in pretty much every three or four episodes. Sort of a a touch rock, not a touchstone. (laughs) He's um, our touch rock. Yes, we will be... Touching re- the rock. <laughs> touching the rock. Uh, we will be touching the rock once again in future for the new Jumanji movie. Mm. But in the meantime, it's back to Doom and with the new straight-to-streaming slash Blu-ray slash DVD Doom Annihilation, which acts as something of a reboot to the franchise. Mm. Sort of in that um, we got to make a film or lose the license kind of way. Ah, oh, you say that. You say that, okay. I did, just then. Just going back earlier, as I say, I think in our Doom episode, I was really hyped about this film, because I, I think we recorded, we recorded our podcast for the Doom 2005 movie as news was breaking about this new Doom, and I was getting so excited. And then you you took the air out of my balloon a bit, because you were telling me about what the, uh, is it Universal... 1440? Entertainment, yes. Mm, they, you said their reputation was kind of not rosy great. The film always knew its place. The problem was was that the Doom fan base didn't mm. know that that was the case. Yeah. So when it was first announced, it said that, yes, it was Universal Pictures again, but it was 1440 Entertainment, their kind of straight-to-video streaming production wing, effectively. So it was like, well... Lower your expectations a bit. But Mm. I think when the teaser trailer came out, that sort of surprised a lot of people because they were expecting something bigger and better. And uh, one of the comments that was always levelled at the original take on Doom for the um, movie pictures was that it was not especially faithful Mm. to uh, the source material. And when people saw this, they thought oh, well, it still looks bad. It wasn't a particularly good teaser, I will admit. Yes. When you think of Doom, 
especially the classic games. Um, when you think of Doom, you're thinking of um, rivers of blood, flaming torches, skulls, without any bodies floating around. <laughs> That's even more terrifying. I know, the most terrifying type of skeleton. Wait until you see the rest of the body flying around. (laughs) Um, In the meantime, since doing our Doom review, I've played the entirety of Doom 3, which got released on the Switch, and I've very much enjoyed it. I can very much see how 2005's Doom was an adaptation of Doom 3. But yes, since then we've had the release of 2016's Doom, and I think people are expecting, especially when they heard it's a universal movie... They're expecting that on this big screen. Yes. And I've now been playing Doom 2016. I finally decided to start playing it. In fact, uh, the original idea for this episode was that Doom Annihilation, it came out in October. Um, So there's been about a month or so since its release. And the idea was this month, November, was going to see the release of Doom Eternal, the follow-up to Doom 2016. But that's been pushed back into 2020 now. But we knew our listeners would be gagging for to, <laughs> to hear our opinions on Doom Annihilation. So here we are. Yeah, but I've enjoyed what I've been playing of Doom. I've played the about sort of five or six hours of it and starting to get really stuck in. And it's definitely very fast paced and lots of demons all attacking you all at once and exciting and, and fun. It, it gets a little bit tiresome, I think, in terms of all the constant violence and action and just everything being thrown at you after each level... Mindless violence! It's more that each level (laughs) is quite long, each chapter. Mm -hmm. So yes, of course, you could stop at any time, but if you want to finish a chapter, you're probably playing it for at least um, an hour if you want to uncover all the secrets and everything. And after waves and waves of giant demons throwing fireballs at you, you start to get a little bit... Oh God! It just—I <laughs> just want to live. <laughs> You're really getting into the headspace of Doom guys. Like, yeah. Oh bloody hell! Not another wave Doom of and, demons. Oh, another corridor, more demons. <laughs> but the reaction, yes, was was pretty negative to the point that people reached out to the official Twitter account for Doom video games, and they responded to say that they had uh, no connection to the film. Which people took as a, as, as a, I mean, it was a kind of shitty response, actually. But at the same time, it was an honest response. And, um, but it, some people felt that they were washing their hands of it. But um, I read that the director, Tony Giglio, said that they did uh, ask for uh, id Software and Co. to be involved in the film. But they uh, politely declined and they wished them the best of luck. And, you know, it's absolutely a video game developer's prerogative to concentrate on what they are making, i.e. video games, and not work on a film. But it didn't help, I suppose, all this Yes, and I think the thing is, is that the tweet is factually accurate and that's fine. So it's not like, I guess people could consider it maybe like a subtweet or something Mm. like that. Or maybe it's, you know... And maybe to an extent, because there has been past form and like when The Rock said how successful Rampage had been and like not that stinker Doom that I was mm-hmm. involved with. And then the official Doom account said Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> but also the official account for this movie, the official Twitter account for Doom Annihilation said, um, well, that didn't go as expected. It reminded me of the recent um, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog shenanigans where... It was released to less than universal acclaim. 
Yeah, and and the director has since sort of said that he understands the backlash, at least with regards to the first trailer, because the, I think, release of this was pushed back a little bit in order to enhance and do more work on the visual effects. Mm -hmm. And had they known that they would have been releasing it later, they would have probably not gone with that first tease trailer and Mm -hmm. there wouldn't have been quite as an intense reaction. Yeah, the second one was a lot better. And I do recall, I don't know if it was before or after the first trailer, but I do recall the extra money was put in for, they said, specifically extra hell sequences. And as we get into the film, the, the it's just really one five-minute hell sequence. Well, but... do, do they mean that there will be extra hell sequences in terms of additional hell sequences, or these hell sequences, they'll be extra? As yeah. in, like, really cool. <laughs> I get the impression that somebody felt, no, we really do need to see hell. But since we recorded the last Doom episode, I guess, yes, Doom Eternal was announced. We met... Uh, John Romero at EGX Rest, which was which was nice, and um, we talked a little bit about that on our EGX Live episode. Also, there's been the announcement of Masters of Doom, a TV series, or at least a pilot, I think, or maybe it's gone to series, I'm not sure, about the makings of Doom. Oh, yes, um, yes. So, Doom is in the air, everywhere <laughs> I look around. <laughs> oh, I want to hear the whole song now. Doom is in the air! <laughs> I think the only other thing to say about our lives and Doom is um, I've been playing a lot of Zen pinball and there's a Doom, a 2016 Doom table. So that is, while you've been playing the actual game, I've been playing a pinball version of Doom. And the music of 2016's Doom is fantastic, isn't it? And mm. it's like, um, I've been listening to that on Spotify. There's a lot that. of like chugging guitars. Like, yeah. yeah, that's what I listen to when I do the dishes. So. <laughs> So we'll talk a bit about Doom Annihilation and I guess the genesis behind it. So the director and writer, Tony Giglio, he's had uh, an interesting career. I read a big interview with him on, I think, Q&U. So it was a big, long interview about his career and stuff. And he started out doing sort of PA uh, production assistant gigs and he was on the sets of stuff like Sam Raimi's The Quick and the Dead. Oh, I love that film. John Carpenter's Escape from L.A. Um, Less so. Uh, Michael Mann's Heat, uh, Jingle All the Way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you if know it's what? a toss-up want... between which is the greater classic, Heat or Jingle All the Way, it's tough. I, I know. I have to admit that what's the name of the superhero in Jingle All the Way? Turbo oh, Man. I think Turbo Man looks more like Doom Guy than anything you see <laughs> in Doom Annihilation. So, but uh, his first directing gig was Soccer Dog the movie. Oh yes, the classic. But he's also had past form in terms of video game movies in the sense that he was a second unit director on Resident Evil Afterlife. He's written a few of the Death Race reboot sequels. Um, So that's how he became involved with Paul W.S. Anderson. But it does seem that he would potentially be a good candidate for adapting a Doom. I was going to say a film of this budget. Yes, I think I think that's probably why. So it seems that Doom really wasn't on Universal's development radar at the time. So you were saying earlier about, oh, we need to make this movie to retain the rights. Apparently it was dormant and they had no desire or anything to reboot it at all until he came along and apparently was asked if there was any Universal properties that he'd be interested in looking at. And he suggested Doom. So it was sort of initiated. He came to them then. 
Well, they came to him to ask him if there was anything he wanted to do that Universal had mm-hmm. past like, properties because they were looking. He was to like, him. "I want to do Kid Kong." Okay, well, aim I lower. It, but I think it was—I <laughs> think it was like in terms of, for instance, like they got these properties and they wanted to maybe see if anyone wanted to do anything with them. Mm. And Doom was the one he suggested being a fan mm. of the games. That'd be nice if, like, you'd have a, if a studio called you up and say, "What do you fancy doing in our in our catalogue?" Yeah, it it seems like this is a passion project to him, and the way he's talked about this film in relation to the film that's gone before is that he sees the the 2005 the rock version of doom as being not faithful to doom and he said in this interview that the things that are vital to a doom film are first demons second hell and third the gates Mm. so those are the things that he wanted to see in a doom movie and that's what he's put in doom annihilation Mm. also toxic masculinity (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about Doom Annihilation proper. Spoiler warning for Doom Annihilation for the rest of this episode. And uh, Harry, would you like to take us through the back of the box? Yes, I'm, I'm going to read this ice cold because um, I just copied. I just took a screen grab of Amazon. <laughs> so here we go. Based on the popular original video game, Doom Annihilation is an explosive, terrifying thrill ride. On the darkest moon of Mars, scientists have found an ancient portal which allows teleportation throughout the universe. Considered to be mankind's greatest discovery, it's actually a gateway from hell, unleashing a swarm of demons looking to steal the souls of everyone who gets in their way. It's up to... Now, it says it's up to... The thing is, I'm British. So... I'm going to say it's up to Lieutenant Joan Dark and an elite unit of Marines to destroy an ever-growing horde of blood-sucking and soul-stealing beasts and prevent them from taking over planet Earth. That brought that up because in the film, a British scientist calls her Lieutenant and says the word math. And I'm just (laughs) like, ooh, he's (laughs) naturalised. Man received a distress signal moments before the base went offline. Move out. Die, die, die! What is going on? They opened up a portal down. Yeah, I found it interesting it says based on the popular original video game because I think, again, this aesthetics, it certainly looks more like based on Doom 3... And, and that and the original film than the recent stuff. But you've played the 2016 game more. What do you think of the aesthetics? Uh, I guess it, there's similarities, but I would say that it still looks very much like, as you say, Doom 3. And I don't think Doom 2016, at least what I've played so far, really does anything different. But there's only so much you can do to make you know, abandoned space station facility mm. look anything more than generic. You know, mm. there's there's only so much you can do unless you create really interesting architecture and you can do that when it comes to hellscapes and such. But everything looks the same as it ever was. Mm. I mean, a touchstone for this film 
is, is probably the film Event Horizon, which is, of course, itself highly derivative. But if you're talking about production design, that's got fantastic production design. Mm. And this film, as, as we've said, is, is lower budget. But luckily, space stations are just corridors. So I, <laughs> I do think this film was filmed on just a few corridors, one or two slightly more expensive sets and and repurposed warehouse yeah. slash engineering they, power plant facilities yeah. i suppose and a location shoot in hell <laughs> as well which is Shh, quite that was a, apparently green screen oh gosh well wouldn't it be like fiery red screen i don't know look here's the thing i'm going to i'm going to reveal my hand this film has got a lot of hatred in the reviews i've seen uh, i've read on imdb in fact, uh, the top review on IMDb said um, one stars feminist low grade film. If I go on YouTube, most of the if you type in Doom Annihilation, most of the thumbnails are white blokes with their faces in their hands and big bold text about how bad this film is. But and I don't think I'm being contrary, I had a good old time watching this film. Perhaps it's because we have watched a whole lot of Uwe Boll recently. <laughs> but this film is not perfect. Um, I think the performances across the board are fairly B-movie-esque. And, and you know, it's, it's very uncomplicated, plot-wise. But it gave me action. And I really enjoyed the production design because I... We, we get a few establishing shots of the Phobos base, which I thought were very impressive. I thought the spaceship design was very impressive. I guess, again, if, you were, if you're so, so invested in getting a, a cinematic version of Doom 2016, you would be disappointed. But as like a stupid watch of your mate's science fiction action film, I thought it was head and shoulders above a lot of the stuff that we've watched for this podcast and i would say i enjoyed it even more than 2005's doom okay what do you think well before we get stuck in i would say that i think the film is very competent i had a good time and i would agree to an extent that perhaps in terms of pacing for instance, mm. this is an improvement on the Doom 2005 movie. When we reviewed that movie, I was more positive about it than you were. Mm. But I could see how that felt even more so than this film, which probably only had a couple of corridors to shoot on. That film feels more backtracking, seems... reusing the same corridors mm. and the same jump scares again and again. And I think that film is probably more tedious. Well, yes, uh, there, there is a 10-minute segment in Doom Annihilation, which is just going down corridors to the depths of the facility. And fortunately, I found that the music was pretty good in this film, pretty, pretty similar to what I expect from a, a Doom video game. So I felt I just about was kept interested by this propulsive music. Um, but you're right, Doom 2005... The entire film felt just going down corridors endlessly until you you see a monster at, in the shadows. The thing is, yes, I think Doom 2005 is maybe a bit more tedious and less well-paced, 
but I think it has more layers of complexity mm. and intrigue. This is a very straightforward story. You know kind of what's going to happen from the start. And I'm not saying like Doom really upends everything and like pulls the rug from out of you. But I think when you have, you know, The Rock's character in that film not necessarily being all that good and mm. there's maybe just a bit more kind of complexity of character going yes. on, this is very much just everyone has their motivations mm. from the start and no one really changes yeah. their perspective. I mean, yes, the big the big uh, win of 2005's Doom over this one is the characters, both in the quality of performance, um, the charisma. And yes, uh, we were intrigued how uh, The Rock, who was the nominal star of that film, turns out to be the big villain at the end. But I wouldn't go so far as to say that the characters in this film aren't interesting because... As much as this is inspired by, as you say, Event Horizon, Paul Anderson joint, of course, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you can't make a movie about space marines without alien and aliens being part of that. And, in fact, one character says, it's aliens at one point, (laughs) which I feel like, because they're doing that during the scene where they're all tooling up with Mm -hmm. their guns, and it's like perfect, like, marine sequence, and he just shouts, it's aliens! And you kind of think, like... Yeah, it is aliens. It is. He's referring to the fact that the threat might be extraterrestrial, but we all know it actually means, oh no, we're watching the film Aliens Mm -hmm. again. And you know, the way we are introduced to our marine characters, they're all waking from cryosleep, they're all gathered around the table. table. Talking about how the food is not edible. Yeah, they're all shooting shit, and it's a way to get to know the characters in a sort of like, kind of organic setting, (sighs) without them all just being like, introduced like name lights dislikes but yeah, but they, they, that scene was very flat though i did i did make a note to say that that was unfortunately not a very good scene it didn't really endear me to these characters all, all the marines in this film did not seem like professionals i think joan so the main character joan duck she seems professional as the film goes on but I, my mind turned to the film Predator, which is another special forces unit who get picked off. But they are all badass. Even the Dick character, the um, one who sort of betrays them, um, he is still like a full-blown soldier and he's great. But in this, I just wonder how they survived their last mission. because they <laughs> And their last mission is, is, a, is sort of a plot point, but... They, one of them is just moaning about everything and they all just seem a little bit crap. <laughs> well, I think they had a bit more character than that. And I think they did quite well to define these different characters in a short space of time. I think they did an okay job with something that we've seen countless times before. But the film kits off proper the reason why these marines are heading to Phobos, which is the moon of Mars, one of them anyway, is because there is a test facility on Phobos run by the United Aerospace Corporation, UAC, which is company is featured in uh, Doom Games. Well, in the Doom Games, they're called the Union Aerospace Corporation. So oh, okay. there's a slight difference there. But I actually think... That the one in this film makes more sense. <laughs> and we find out that this facility has a test lab being run by a Dr. Betruger, mm-hmm. played by Dominic Maffam, who is maybe my favourite character in the movie. Well, he, as soon as I saw there's a British scientist, I thought, oh, he's, he's a traitor, isn't he? 
Yeah. Did you did you see what his name means in German? No. Betruger in German means cheater or schemer. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if you were if you were a German viewer, you were like, God, you might as well have had like villain written yeah. on Doctor Villainous, Doctor Twirly Mustache. <laughs> yes. If you want to have, as we've established with Ian Glenn and Resident Evil. Ian Glenn and in Lara Croft team right yeah, now. Yeah, I, I was watching this thing. Why isn't this guy Ian Glenn? Um, he's a you know discount Ian Glenn. I think there's just something about having a theatrically trained British stage actor such as Dominic Maffam just really relishes every single line of dialogue and just delivers it with that kind of fruity panache that you want. And I like the fact that it makes no bones about. Yeah, this guy is Dr. Steamer. He's going to turn and, you know, he's all up against the corporation for, you know, wanting to sort of take over his research and, well, and everything. I found it quite refreshing that in this film, the UAC was not an evil umbrella style corporation. They were like, as soon as the first test subject goes through this portal to, which we discover as a portal to hell... UAC wants to shut this shit down for an investigation to find out exactly what's happened. And that one of the UAC doctors even says, someone's had their atoms decimated and put <laughs> back together again. Plus, we sent a lot of sheep through. They all came back as fire-breathing demons. <laughs> that doesn't happen. But the doctor is the one who says, no, f- screw that. I want, I want to, you know, it's Friday. I want to I get this sorted. What happens in this opening intro is that a test subject, there's this gateway, this portal, which is all like covered in red glowing evil looking runes. It's the scariest portal ever seen. (laughs) They actually withhold the reveal of the portal for a little bit. So the doctor, Dr. Betruger is discussing with another doctor. Okay, you're fine about going through this portal. He says, yeah, no worries. And then you see the portal (laughs) and it looks like a... Just, I don't know, the, like a microwave from the dark place. Yeah, the fact that it then creates this huge glowing black and red blobby mm. thing in there and you have to step into it, it's just like, no. It's the worst looking visual effect in the film. Yeah, quite it? probably. This test subject doesn't go particularly well, mm. like ends up transporting from Earth to Phobos and when they come out, they're all like... Mm-hmm. Big long fingernails, black bloody ink coming out of their and eyes and mouth. He's given one of those lovely jumpers, which which you hug yourself. Oh, a straight jacket. A straight jacket, yes. <laughs> oh, I like those. It's a yeah, can I get a sort of like That's a cozy Christmas. straight jacket? Do you want to buy anything for me for Christmas? <laughs> I want a straight jacket. I'll just get you a onesie and then just tie it around your Ooh, back. Lovely. But yes, when this test subject doesn't go according to plan... Dr. Petruga blames it on antidepressants. Yeah, I get the impression that he's just fobbing or faux-bossing <laughs> off the um, UAC guys. Yeah. I liked the sort of like questions which were asked, the fact that, you know, this is new technology, this is teleportation. What if it wasn't instantaneous? And I like that sort of seed of idea mm-hmm. that... Time and space. Yeah, when you're being transported and teleported, it's like what happens in between? Your cells are being reconfigured or mm-hmm. I think like in Star Trek, they talk about how you basically die. Oh, I hate that. And then your data, your biological data is transmitted and reconstituated. Well, no, in, on the in other Star place. Trek, it's just magic. It definitely is you. But I think we all know the only way for that science to even work is to 
kill yourself <laughs> every time you want to go down the shops. Uh, yeah, <laughs> gruesome. I believe that this incident unfairly judges the result. Despite it all, we teleported a human from Earth to Phobos. Who is displaying signs of extreme mental disorder less than a soul later? That was because of the drugs. And the physical changes? We always knew there were going to be some cell reconfiguration issues. We deconstructed a human and reassembled them. I'm not going to stop. Just because the subject's fingernails grew. We'll make corrections. Dr. Petruger, what if the trip wasn't as instantaneous as it first appeared? We are violating the laws of physics. I'm fully aware of what we're doing. Ahmed, we're running out of time. If we don't show progress, they'll shut us down. There's too much at stake. I'm not going to allow bureaucrats that don't understand the science that keeps them alive today determine the science that will keep them alive tomorrow. Yes, so we are introduced to the UAC Marine Corps group on the spaceship the NOLA on their way to Phobos. They've been posted there for three years, I think, and it's sort of like a dead end... Three Earth years. Three Earth years. But as we know that in Mars, uh, a day is called a soul and it's 24 hours and 39 minutes. So three Earth years will be... Probably like two days longer (laughs) or something. I think a bit longer than that. Mm. But yes, so this uh, Marine Corps group, they are on their way to Phobos. And the reason why they are being posted there... Uh, in a sort of like end of the universe, dead end job as just private base security is because one of their group, the aforementioned Lieutenant slash Lieutenant Joan Dark, fucked up on their last mission. Did whoever send them there, send them there truly because it was a punishment, because it was like a dead end place to go? Or did they need the best of the best there in case um, things went Things up. Tits up, I think, is the marine palance. Uh, well, I, I think it's a maybe a bit of both. Like, they say that... They query why they're needed for this, you know, posting when it's just this kind of simple security job. But they have been told that there are experiments, sort of sensitive things being mm. taking place there. And so they do need security in, to contain, you know, all this sort of secret research which is going on and shouldn't fall into other corporation hands perhaps mm. but as you say the the narrative they've been given is that joan lieutenant left i'm going to call a lieutenant lieutenant dark we learned let a terrorist go because she thought that was the right call but i don't think the film ever conclusively answers why she thought that it it rather sounds like i don't know they raided the base of space bin laden and then like bin laden was right there and she's like but he's just a sweet old man <laughs> then let him go yeah uh, we get sort of hints of this early on in the film like when the group are all together post cryo sleep and she arrives they all leave as soon as she turns up they want to distance themselves from her you know dr Petruder. Uh, reveals later that he is aware of what happened and let this terrorist go. I think it's it's the idea that she disobeyed an order and she says, oh, I just wanted to be the hero. So maybe it's it's not like she let them go, literally. It's a bit messy. All you really need to know is that she's been punished for insubordination. Yeah. And as a result, so has the whole team. So, yes, let's talk maybe a little bit about Joan Dark. Mm. 
So there was a bit of controversy from the fanboys about the idea that the lead in this film was not Doom Guy, uh, but was a woman. So, so, if it's, so I'll tell you what happened with me while watching this film. I did make the note, more of a sort of a casual, just like casually asking myself, well, well why a woman? And I was just felt, why not, I suppose? I mean, I guess I asked myself that question because... It seemed so far. It seemed to me that no doom media involved women in any sort of capacity. As I said, if it just felt like why not? But it seems like every single review I've been reading does seem to really bring it up in a very negative way. I really don't understand it because there's nothing. It makes no difference for this character whether she is male or female. There's no hint of that from any of the other characters in the film. There's no question mm. about it. It's one of those things like this idea that it needs to be Doom Guy, but Doom Guy doesn't really exist as a character until I think the 2016 mm. games. Like the director said that, look, in the original games, you're just the player. And yes, you've got a little face at the bottom, but there's no character mm. there. You're just the one who's shooting all the demons. And I guess the captain in this film, Captain Savage, is meant to be the sort of doom guy because he has the look he of the doom guy. Is he, he, the, is he the one who looks a lot like Michael Ironside when he's got his helmet on? Yeah, he's like a cross between John Cena and Michael Ironside. Mm. And he's the one who has an old-fashioned shotgun mm. at one point. And, you know, that's clearly the nod. He's like the most doom guyist of the bunch, I suppose. But it really makes no difference to... The film and it makes no difference to the character whether they're male or female but I think clearly what they're going for is a Sigourney Weaver Linda Hamilton type and yes the name Joan Dark Joanna Dark Joanna Dark perfect dark mm. is what comes to mind although what he was going for was the fact he was thinking well doom hell spiritual spirituality spiritual warriors uh Joan de Arc oh. Joan of Arc she could have just called her Virgin Mary. <laughs> that would have made more sense if they wanted to go down the biblical route. Um, yeah, the actress herself. Now, there's a bit of funniness about how, how she's credited, isn't there? So she's called Amy Manson. Yes. Correct? What is she known as in the credits? Amy Mason. Hmm. <laughs> if, I, if I was Amy, and when the new film, which I'm the lead actor in finally gets released, and the first name on the credits is my name, but spelled wrong, I'd be a little bit disappointed. It's like going to see the next, like, is it George Looney movie? <laughs> or um, Marvin Scorsese's new film? Oh, I love Marvin Scorsese Marvin movies. Marvin Scorsese. And at no point did anyone... Marvel Scorsese. Marvel Scorsese. <laughs> That's topical for 2019. <laughs> It's a bit pathetic, isn't it? Gosh. I mean, it's a streaming movie. I'm hoping they're going to correct that at some point. The director's cut of this movie will just be a slight <laughs> change to the credits. Yeah. But I think she held... She's great, I think. I mean, she's not asked... She not, she's just asked to be a badass, and she is a badass, and she's got a bit of uh, past. And, and what, again, one thing I really like about this film is when, when shit goes down, there's a lot of fighting, there's a lot of gunplay, and she she's kicking ass, so... I mean, one thing I saw on Twitter was all their sort of military training and they were like training two guns. It obviously 
paid off because when when we're fighting uh, the imps and the monsters, I, I really really got into it. I was getting I was pulse pounding. Mm, that's a quote for the back of the DVD box. I believe this is the third or fourth DVD box in which it refers to the film as a pulse pounding thrill ride or roller coaster <laughs> or ghost train or something. The thing is, by us saying that now, when they do the 10th anniversary re release of Doom Annihilation, it will mm. say pulse pounding roller coaster games on film. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> But yes, I, I liked uh, Amy Manson's performance. I hadn't really seen her in anything, but apparently she plays... She's a Scottish actress, mm-hmm. and she played Merida, a.k.a. the princess from Brave, in Once Upon a Time. Right. You know, the Disney ABC fairy tales yes. for real I've done TV my, show. I've done my best to avoid that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she's uh, in the new Joss Whedon TV show for HBO, The Nevers, which comes out in oh. 2020. Has that Apparently. already been cancelled? <laughs> it's a Joss Whedon film. Preemptively cancelled, aka miniseries. <laughs> mm. I mean, they're advertising uh, in the UK Swamp Thing, an uh, Amazon Prime original. And I'm like, that's already been cancelled, though. Yeah. I mean, one of the nasty things people said about what this film, again, judging, I mean, I watched this one YouTube video. Just to see what they were actually like, just to see if the the actual videos were as bad as the thumbnails. And the guy said, I've watched six seconds of this teaser and already I'm disappointed. And I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> fuck you. And in the, he was just saying how her gun is bigger than she is. And I'm like, well, it's the big, big what's the, it's called a big fucking gun. <laughs> it's meant to be big. <laughs> it's like, you, you don't want... If anything, a big man with a big gun would just make it the MFG. Like the medium fucking gun. That's what what it it means. Do you know what the LFG would be, Rory? The little fucking gun. little fucking gun. Okay, now now I get it. The littlest fucking gun. Now I get it. I thought it was cool when she was running around with this plasma gun and grenades. And so, yeah. Yeah, she's a doom gal and I liked her. Yeah. I, I guess the other key members of the space crew we should mention... Uh, there's Captain, Captain Savage. There's Winslow, who's just a kind of professional ass. There's always one. There's always a whiner. Again, it's like Bill Paxton and Aliens. And there's that moany guy in Doom 20, 2005 as well, where you're, like, you're a career soldier. You're a career Marine. And you're meant to be one of the best of the, of the best. But you're still moaning about everything. Yeah. But at one point, he gets slapped in the face hard by Joan. She, he gets slapped in the face and he goes, yeah, I deserve that. Which I thought was a nice little bit of humour. <laughs> I couldn't remember exactly what for. But um, I think it's because he, he spends a lot of the action scenes running away. Which is yeah. decidedly what I'd do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also have Dr. Bennett Stone who is the scientist who's brought along to the mission and has a past relationship with Joan. Yeah, two things. In Doom 2005, there's a scientist with a past relationship with Carl Urban. And there's actually a familial relationship. He is their sister. But I thought it was funny how there was a grunt and a scientist relationship in this one too. Uh, secondly, I didn't know he was called Bennett until about halfway through the film. So in my notes, I've just put hot scientist. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, he, he's the hot scientist. Is he? I think he's kind of hot. Okay. I did wonder why he was brought down into the base. He seems to be treated all the time like 
explain this and he's like i don't know i've just got here i mean he's 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 not a scientist who's working there he has been transported there to start work so it's like starting work on your first day and everyone asks you everything about the organization and how it works and functions when pushed later on after all the um feces hits the fan yeah uh he does say that he knows that they found evidence of alien mm. life so then he also does some engineering and i was just i was just writing so he's a scientist, but he also knows how to rewire a reactor. I mean, I guess scientists know everything. They don't specialise in one thing, do they? Yeah, he's wearing glasses. Ergo, he's a boffin. And he's wearing glasses and a bulletproof jacket. He is everything I could want in a man. Gordon Freeman from Half-Life. Oh my god. All he needed to do was pick up a um, crowbar and we'll be there. Yeah. Uh, I guess we should also mention the pilot, Morgan. Yeah, so this is a bit exciting because... Literally just after we started the podcast and I was following the production of this film, which was shooting in Bulgaria, um, a man came to my place of work and uh, where I where I uh, worked up until recently was a charity for veterans. And he, he arrived with a, uh, he's got one leg and he said he was going to Bulgaria to shoot a film. And I said, oh, it's not, it's not Doom, is it? And he went, yeah. And I was like, I grabbed him by the shoulders like, oh my God, <laughs> I didn't think you'd expect that. And, you know, I, I mentioned his uh, you know, missing leg because he's, he's an advocate of you know, life after the forces. And um, I mentioned his name. He's Cassidy Little. He won Strictly Come Dancing once with one leg. And on his Twitter bio, he says um, he liked Afghanistan so much he left his leg there. So anyway, <laughs> he said he was playing a space marine. And I thought, well, you're absolutely getting murdered in the first five minutes, aren't you? Turns out he's not. He doesn't lose his leg to a demon. He he rocks up with his leg, and I think a nice, a nice form of representation. He's just a a, a pilot. He reminds me of um, uh, Joker in Mass Effect, not in that film called Joker. <laughs> that would be a totally different film. But no, he's just he's a he's the comic relief. He um, has a sort of very intimate and flirtatious relationship with the spaceship's computer, known as. Daisy. Which I guess, I mean, any kind of space computer is going to have 2001 mm -hmm. as a sort of um, reference point. And I suppose because when Hal is being shut down and singing Daisy. Mm -hmm. Well, I read that Daisy is also referenced to the name of Doom Guy's pet. I think it's a pet rabbit. Oh. Uh, I don't know in which iteration of Doom he has a rabbit, but that was in the trivia section. Well, he is carrying, Morden is carrying a little rabbit's, lucky rabbit's lucky foot. Lucky rabbit's foot, indeed. Yeah, I also liked how Daisy in this seemed to be m more intelligent than your average artificial intelligence. It seemed, she seemed to have a, be a bit proactive in thinking. And, and what happens with Daisy is as the demonic forces i think take over phobos mm. base it seems that the computer also gets corrupted so and starts... hell, hell has hackers apparently yeah hell has hacked into daisy and so first it sort of knocks out their navigation system so their maps are all scrambled they've all got heads up display is what they say so hud is you know as used in video games so there's a brief brief moment of first person sequence pov mm. not obviously as much as an the previous Doom movie. I was quite thankful to that, to be honest, because I think we said in Doom 2005, it's an impressive sequence, but everything just stops. Yeah, yeah. And then later on, you know, their personal communications are jammed, and then Daisy goes full evil, 
and says, like, no one's allowed to leave. My name's not Daisy. Mm-hmm. We don't know what her name is. The um... gatekeeper. <laughs> I like Florence. <laughs> yeah, so Cassidy, I, I was a, it was a pity to see him go when he eventually does get eaten. But um, I was pleasantly surprised that we got more of Cassidy Little than I expected. Yeah, I enjoyed his performance too. Now, the facility is built into the moon and is divided into three levels. Main level includes a cargo bay, various offices, living quarters, administrative offices, and amenities. Level two, service and maintenance. It's also where they store the computer servers. And finally, level three contains laboratories and reactor. What kind of a reactor? Fusion reactor. Nuclear. Yeah, but it's safe. Because nothing bad ever happened with nuclear power. Well, the moon poses more risk than the reactor. What do you mean? Well, Phobos is one of the most unstable environments in the solar system. That's why they call it the doomed moon. Cool. But when these guys arrive at the base, I really enjoyed the difficulty they had getting actually into the base. There's something quite unnerving about arriving, which on what I assume was a very, a very long trip. <laughs> <laughs> to they to said, Phobos. Yeah, they said there'd been four months in cryosleep, mm. and uh, the scientist Dr. Bennett Stone mentions that Phobos itself is one of the most unstable environments in the solar system and is known as the doomed moon. Ooh, like the title, moon. <laughs> moon annihilation. Ooh, if you reverse the name doom, you get mood. <laughs> Yeah, I just worked that out. It's, it's kind of a mood. It's kind of a mood. It's a standard trope, but you're listening to the last known recording and it's screeching and screaming, again, mm. like uh, Event Horizon. It's very much like my Spotify playlist. Because <laughs> <laughs> in the meantime, Dr. Petruja has decided to run the test on himself. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, he goes into the blob. There's a big power failure and something has been unleashed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when they arrive, they can't get access, so they find a sort of back door in order to do so, and they enter the base. Mm. And as we mentioned, a lot of what we see next is is a lot of corridors, but um, there's three levels to the station, and they pretty much use the same corridor, but with different lighting to represent each level. And I think that's a really, again, clever technique. You don't have every... In a, in a space space, you'd expect all the corridors to look the same, and... It's a technique used in that low-budget sci-fi horror film uh, Cube, very effectively, which has just had one cube set. They basically need to restore power and get the whole system back online, mm. because if they don't do so within the next 90 minutes or so, roughly the runtime of the film... Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> 86 the whole, minutes or something. The whole base, and with it the moon, will probably explode in a big nuclear blast. I think initially Bennett said it was also very worried about the scientific uh, testing which had been going on. So, um, yeah, you know, all the uh, crests growing out of eggs. (laughs) (laughs) It's like... All the the magic trees that they've, uh, you know... We've got the clock hooked up to a potato. (laughs) It's like... (laughs) It's going to go nuclear. Um, <laughs> it's like we've entered the lab and it's just like my first chemistry kit's all strewn around what happens if I touch this orb oh my hair <laughs> it's gone all up what the hell are they doing <laughs> down here <laughs> oh dear if only but no um, they uncover uh, they discover uh, not only bloody text on the walls but also 
coloured key cards. And mm. that's the equivalent of finding a question mark block in the Mario movie or seeing a Pokemon ball in, um, you know, whatever. Detective Pikachu. In, yeah, I was going to say a Pokemon movie or something. <laughs> it's like uh, <laughs> seeing a Pokeball in, I don't know, House of the Dead would be mind-blowing. You know, that, that, that got me in the jellies to quote Detective Pikachu there's just something so doomy about a key card of colours and multiple colours. And it becomes a bit more of an important plot point later on. But I was just like, oh, yeah, man, yeah. Give me that blue key card. Give me that key card. I mean, it's, it's, I actually have my travel card holder is a key card from Doom. So whenever I go down into the underground, it's like going to hell. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is, Quite actually. accurately, yeah. yeah. Central line in the summer, yeah. Mm, indeed, indeed. But the, the bloody text is... is partly translated it's like an ancient it's sort of partially ancient sumerian text Mm. is what they describe it as being and it sort of says like we've come to reclaim what is ours no escape this time the computer does say that's all it can complete and i'd like to think the rest of that sentence was just joking lols (laughs) just kidding but also who wrote that text like do you mean one of these I mean, the demons themselves, they're just running around all the time. One of them stops to be like, they sort of lick their finger on some blood and go like, Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. here it comes. You know, if they'd gotten to the end, it would have been signed off by like, Jeremy. P.S. Yes. <laughs> you know, this, that and the other. Get milk. Get hell milk. <laughs> the body that they find the blue key card on, uh, the name is Sergeant Blaskowitz. Yes, and uh, I think we also see a name for it, a Dr. John Carmack. Yes. Uh, um, Names names we know. Yes, John Carmack, co-creator of Doom, Mm -hmm. and Blaskowitz is the name of, I guess, the character in Wolfenstein 3D, BJ Blaskowitz. But yes, no sooner do they find a decapitated body that they get attacked by whatever done that Body. I, I did think that maybe the head fell off, like in Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> His head fell off! Yeah, I. it's made sense when you told me that the director had been involved in one of the Resident Evil films, because I feel he did take what he learnt and brought it to this, because, I mean, we've seen so many zombie attacks in this podcast, but I found there was just something just a little bit more energetic about these guys. So they sort of parkour a lot of the time. Yeah, they and run, jump and climb all over it, the place. Exactly. And the way they scrabble around the floor. And also, literally the first thing they do is rip the throat out of one of these soldiers. So I think that very firmly establishes that they are a threat. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like you say, oh, like, up until the point that they weren't just, like, eating a corpse and covered in blood and running around screaming and looking like demons. Mm. You're like, oh, no, they ripped out someone's throat. Now they're a threat. I'm not as judgy (laughs) as you. (laughs) But, no, I I felt the tension. And, again, um, this is more apparent when we get to the imps later on. But one criticism I had of Doom 2005 was... Obviously, because of the weight of the, um, the like the makeup and monster effects, the monsters couldn't really move. I felt even the human zombies would just sort of stop and go and hold their hands like you were on a ghost train. So great to look at, but not any real threat. But these guys were jumping on all over the marines, and I think a few of the marines do die here. And um, and they took a while to take down a few. It took a lot of gunshots to shoot him, and I did get that sort of. 
video game vibe. I mean, again, I, I feel when you're adapting a video game into a movie, it isn't just the iconography and what you see is important. It is that feeling you get. And there's that tension you get when you play Doom where you just, you're counting down the shots. Like how many shots does kill a, a zombie? How many shots kills um, an imp and with what weapon? And I just got that sense in this action scene. And I thought it was pretty well shot. It wasn't too difficult to follow. So, um, and of course, halfway through, even though this is the sewage section of the base, there's a chainsaw. So maybe there's some very big turds which get flushed. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's you like know, a, you know, a logging camp. <laughs> you, 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 we've all heard the stories of the London fat birds yeah. that clog up the sewage system here. So. Not much de- good stuff to eat in Mars. It's like a, there's a McDonald's <laughs> like, and um, I don't know, a service station. And Mars bars. <laughs> Well, naturally, yes. Um, <laughs> and Milky Ways. And Milky Ways, but not... Uh, and Galaxy. And Galaxies. Uh, anything else? <laughs> I think that's it for space-related chocolates. Venus bars. <laughs> well, I always liked Cadbury Astros, I think. They mm-hmm. used to be little chocolate with biscuit centre in a candy-coated shell, and they no longer exist. But that was my go-to circa 1998. As long as you remember them. They're never truly dead. Yes, they'll always be part of me. The Astros in my heart. That's if I remember their name correctly. Yeah, most likely still in your gut as well. <laughs> so look at the half-life of 30 years. Yeah, that's Cadbury's. <laughs> but yeah, um, I mean, when the scene ended, I sort of went, whew, that was, that was a rush, wasn't it? I think the only thing with the demons is that they're all clearly just wearing the same Halloween masks. I and... think it's the, the same five people, isn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it makes sense because, like, video games, like, they have identical character models you see again and again and shoot mm. the same again and again. But at the same time, it was a bit like, mm, do I have to see another 10 of the same people running the corridor, getting shot and falling mm. down? That's um, my thing about these kind of sequences. I know they're sort of essential to setting the scene, but at the same time, it's a bit like, Okay, enough I, of this. I sort of felt that way about the actual Marines because if I remember complaining about Doom 2005 in that they weren't wearing iconic Doom masks and I felt that was a big part. But when I played Doom 3 and actually your character in Doom 3 never wears his mask, which again seems like a very big health and safety hazard. Yeah, um, the only character in the team uh, who isn't wearing a helmet inevitably is the one who a demon jumps on their back and like sticks mm. their hand in their head or something and then like rips their throat out so it's just like always wear a helmet <laughs> yeah i i think apart from the pain the biggest emotion he felt or the biggest feeling he felt was embarrassment <laughs> it's like how embarrassing i was just trying to look cool he goes to the layer of hell of abject embarrassment hey wearing a helmet is cool <laughs> staying safe is cool mm. Unfortunately, these guys all wear the helmets. I do. I do wish their outfits were green, like like in Doom. I wish they were green and displayed the abs. Everyone had. Everyone had six packs <laughs> in Doom. But it does make everyone look the same. So I did have a bit of tr- trouble following which Marine was who, and I did sort of wish like Joan had like a big J on her tummy just to denote who she was. Yeah, because like the Marines and aliens, like even if they're wearing the stuff, like. They've all customised their outfits, and I know it would have just been repeating that, but actually it's useful as an audience member to Mm. distinguish what's going on with who. I think that's also a budgetary thing, because I also wrote in my notes how 
in these uh, uniforms do look store-bought, you know. I think they just got generic SWAT team gear and didn't even put any patches on them or anything to denote that they are space marines. Is it so they could take them back to the shop with the receipt afterwards? <laughs> it would have been the it's case. Like, whatever you do, don't get blood on these. What's this? It looks like zombie blood. <laughs> you trying to pull one on me? No, no, no. See, the Marines were killed very quickly, and I thought, oh my goodness, I didn't expect that. But they do pick up some additional characters in this chaos, some civilians and scientists, and a chaplain, which, again, I I like those, like in proper 70s disaster movies, there's always a chaplain, and that's good. But that's good, because it gives gives some some different flavours of characters. You get, um, I think, Veronica was um, like a, a doctor who did the medical on um, Dr. Betruga. And we have doc- the Doctor himself, Dr. Betruga, and they all kind of reconvene on the spaceship, don't they? Basically, Dr. Betruga reappears. Last time we saw him, he was entering the gate. So his presence here has got a bit of a question mark. Yes, he's introduced with his arms folded, and I thought he was going to have creepy hands like the first dude who went through. <laughs> but he's fine. And basically, with their team wiped out and the captain uh, having also been ripped apart by demons, I suppose, uh, it's left to Joan to be in charge. And she, quite rightly, wants answers. And Dr. Petruga is pressured to reveal what they were working on. And he explains that basically UAC's mission for the past few decades has been to locate planets to colonise because Earth's time will inevitably be up at some point. And in doing so, they found these large stone-like slabs with this sort of proto-Sumerian text written on them. It's such a shame that he didn't say at some point, let's go to the lab and see what's on my slab. Sumerian text. (laughs) (laughs) So these slabs, he calls them gates, and they found one on Earth, and they also found one on Phobos, which is where they're at at the moment, and built these UAC bases around them. I like how you clarified we're on Phobos at the moment. I just, you know... I love when the Marines say, wait, are we on Phobos? All I want is a little sort of Seinfeld-style location (laughs) establishing shot with... Phobos is where we're at right now. So they found these gates and they say they're about seven and a half thousand years old and made from a chemical compound they're unable to identify. So the theory is that they were placed there by alien life forms and they assume there are others strewn throughout the universe, which will allow travel between these locations in an instant. But even though they predate the pyramids... They won't work unless they were hooked up to technology they've only just Mm. been able to create. So the idea was that these aliens place these slabs waiting for these alien civilizations and Earth civilization or wherever to get to a point in their development of civilization and technology that they could actually work the damn thing. In the credits should have said, written by Tony Giulio and Arthur C. Clarke, (laughs) because that's pretty much the plot of 2001. Yeah. <laughs> um, you've done very well to remember all that. I was very impressed because there's a massive exposition dump. The doctor said that they call these gates. And I wanted him to say, we wanted to call them stargates, but we couldn't legally do that. <laughs> we wanted to call them demon gates, but that would also be revealing what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if NASA discovered 
Stargates, and Stargates are the perfect name for them, but they are legally obliged to either not use that name or lease it out, like the Daleks and Doctor Who. I think Roland Emmerich is just like rubbing his hands, waiting for these portals to be discovered. (laughs) It's like, I want to make bank, baby. Yeah, I'm going to license the name Stargate. Again, one thing which people hate about the 2005 Doom film is just it's not about hell in the slightest. There's a little bit of crucifix kissing, but no, it's it's not hell. It is mutations. And so although this, this film doesn't go far to say that they actually visit the actual hell at the end, they're still... <laughs> The actual hell. I was just like, there was a big sign saying, welcome to actual hell. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, population 666 or whatever. Um, That's generous. (laughs) Only 666 people in the whole of human history have made it to hell. 666 trillion. (laughs) Yeah, okay, that makes more sense. (laughs) Although it doesn't really go out and say they visit actual hell, you know, it's it's not afraid to talk about the, about Judeo-Christian hell and and they've got like a future chaplain with a, like a, a, a stylish dog collar, as in an almost not, not their dog collar. I think he's just wearing a white shirt under a black shirt. Oh. That's about it. <laughs> I thought that was the one concession to fut- futuristic Catholicism. Well, maybe he's just, you know, he knows what's trendy when it comes. He's mm-hmm. a trendy priest. Yes, <laughs> like in a flea bag. <laughs> what are you doing at the weekend? I'm visiting Mars. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, um, the plan is to return to the ship and make their escape. And they try to get back in, but there's no response from Morgan. But they contact Daisy the computer, who's like, yeah, sure, fine, come on in. Everything's okay. No problems whatsoever. (laughs) Welcome home. (laughs) Okie (laughs) dokie. And Joan finds Morgan's body Mm -hmm. and monster attack. And this is our... First, is this our first proper monster demon reveal? When we see a flash of an imp attacking Morgan, like that classic monster screeching at the camera, when you don't really want to damage your costume (laughs) in attacking an actor. Again, I really liked how flexible and energetic these demons are. They've been working out. They've been working out. (laughs) A lot of cardio. A lot of yoga as well. Flexibility. It looks like it seems like a genuine threat, and when they're throwing fireballs, I mean it's a bit street fightery, but gosh darn it, it's what happens in the games, and that's a lot of fun. Again, if you get hit by one, it, it sort of depends how important you are on whether or not you survive. Yeah, I would say that the fireballs look stupid. Mm, I like them, though. And I know that was, like, a big thing. It's just like, oh, the other Doom movie, it has imps, but all they do is, like, run around and, like, slap people a bit. And in this, it's like, ooh, fireballs. But it just, I mean, it always looked silly. Even in the games, it looked silly. Mm. Just the idea of a fireball being thrown at you. And I can see why Street Fighter... Didn't bother with that. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, think you are kind of right. I think in, in the game, whenever I'm attacked by a fireball, it does little damage. So it's. I'm sure for the Doom hardcore, that's like, oh, but at least they have fireballs. And for me, it was just like, uh, the fireballs were probably the silliest thing about it. At one point, Joan gets attacked. And one of the imps, I guess, like pins her down and then does a sort of big low pan style breathing in her mouth sucking her soul possessing her style thing yeah i i think it went two ways i think he was sucking at her soul 
and, and I guess placing it with demon. I guess that turns you into a zombie. Um, but she gets saved in the nick of time by the chaplain, priest but, packing heat. Yeah, but um, he then snuffs it with a fireball. Mm-hmm. And he gives some reassuring bunkum about Joan's backstory because we see her mum in a flashback dying for some reason, and she says. You gotta have faith <laughs> just before she kicks the bucket. Yeah, gives her a crucifix. Mm-hmm. So yes, they need to regroup and sort out what they're going to do next and how they're gonna get home. And Dr. Protruder's like, well, we could just go through the gate. And so like, oh Dr. Protruder, you and your gates. Every single answer is like, what are we gonna do? Well, we could use the gate. Always going through the gates. Who are you? Bill Gates. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Um, I did like this dilemma they had because they were, t- they were there's a ticking clock. Now it's only thirty minutes until the space station explodes, and um, it's a choice between just sitting there and doing nothing, or going through the portal and seeing what they find on the other side. So I like that uh, dilemma. But basically, their mission is to. Restore the power. So they arrive at this reactor and then there's this, um, they activate it. For some reason, Dr. Petruga remembers that he read about Joan Dark and what a bad... What a big shit she was. What a big rubbish shit she was. <laughs> and then he has a go at those other people. And I thought this was like a an idea he had to destabilise them for some ulterior motive. But it really just... It seems to be no reason, just to reveal that he's a dick, and then he runs off and clo- and shuts them in the reactor with a lot of imps. Yeah, he's sort of saying, like, he read the court testimony and how, like, all her colleagues were against her and in terms of why she disobeyed that direct order. I mean, I keep up to date with all the people who have been sort of put through court martials in the past. I, I, have you? Well, it's it's part, it's part UAC related, you know, part of the same so. company. Probably came in the company newsletter. <laughs> yes. It's like, here's all the terrible things that have happened yes. with the employees this month. And remember, on Friday, it's a bake sale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess, like, to an extent, it's like to sort of destabilise them because... He sort of plays his hand at this point and he stabs uh, Veronica, who um, is, I guess, the only person who actually saw what happened to Dr. Petruda when he went through the portal. So she knows that potentially something's not right in the head with with the doctor. She should have really told people about this a bit earlier, (laughs) you know. It's an imp attack while they're trapped in the reactor room. A couple more um, marines... Uh, bite the big one in the process, leaving just Joan Dark and Dr. Bennett Stone. And uh, they find out from Veronica as she's dying that they need to go to level four. But there is no level four. And it turns out the way to get there is with the yellow key card. This is a bonus level. Yeah. But uh, en route to level four, they use the blue key card mm-hmm. to go to the weapons room, and there they find the BFG 9000 yeah. itself. And a bunch of plasma grenades. Yeah. Why not? And, you know, it's a small thing, but in this film, the BFG produces a green plasma bolt, which is the iconic colour in the games. And in 2005's one, it was blue for some reason. Yeah, and it looks like a proper, I wouldn't say iconic, it was just a you're pretty standard looking sci-fi gun, but I still very much enjoyed it. That's the BFG 9000. I've only ever read about it, never actually seen one. Of course, no Marine calls it that. What do they call it? The big fucking gun. 
And then they reach an elevator. Um, there's this weird little chat about how Bennett is scared of elevators. And then he realises, with good cause, because the imp is in the ele- elevator and grabs him and kills him. Yeah. I, I guess, like... He should have said, told you! <laughs> yeah, because they talk about, like, their first date. Oh, yeah, they, they were had. an item. Hmm. Yeah, and the fact that, like, they went to this rooftop restaurant, but he refused to use the elevator, so I had to take the stairs. And it's like, ha-ha, what a cute little memory. And then it's just like, bam, elevator death. Hmm. <laughs> This is personal hell. Yeah. If it was like scared of clowns, it would have been full of clowns that had been released from the courses <laughs> of hell and all over the base. I think that's maybe um, giving too much credit to the demonic forces. Mm, they're not very creative. No. They're just fire and brimstone for 2,000 years. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit sad to see um, Bennett go, but that does allow um, jo- Joan to break out the BFG and kill some fools. And then she arri- arrives at level four. And this corridor is full of dead bodies and blood, which I rather enjoyed um, because <laughs> it rather explains why the rest of the base is deserted. And you- I thought it was sort of, a, sort of a budgetary thing, and I'm sure it is partly. But, you know, there was a line as to why, where is everyone? And, and it sort of stands to reason that all the scientists were down in the most important science place. Doing all their science stuff. Yeah, concentrating on the science bits. And... Um, they didn't make it to the elevator. Unfor- probably because probably it was like a six-person capacity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why only about, well, maybe 30 of them made it to the top mm. levels because they just had to keep waiting for the elevator to come back down. <laughs> just imagine being in that queue. Like, <laughs> oh, come on, come on. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. Look, <sighs> it won't come quicker if you keep pushing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um... I did think that maybe it was a mistake that they did this bloody body corridor on the first day of shooting <laughs> and then it's just like, oh no we have to reuse this corridor tomorrow oh, i was reading the shooting schedule backwards <laughs> yes she makes it into the lab where she finds dr Petruga, um who is trying to reopen the portal and uh he talks about he wants to find a new world and Earth was theirs long before it was ours, and language, science, and math, as he said, were all creations of theirs, and it was these forces from hell or Mars or wherever they came from who made us evolve, and all they want is Earth back. Did you say these demons created math? Yes. (laughs) It makes a lot of... I'm just saying what you said. They don't seem like mathematicians. (laughs) Hey... Having studied maths to an A-level mm. grade, I mean... I think maths was invented by the devil. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, if you go further... It makes a lot of sense. I mean, in all seriousness, mathematics is the, the science of life and everything boils down to maths. So, uh, yes, there, there must be the dark mathematical arts. Bennett reappears in demon form, sadly. <laughs> now, in demon form! <laughs> He's back! <laughs> in um, demon form. I don't know. I, I I liked him as a demon. There was a moment where I thought there was gonna she was gonna find some way to save him, either through the power of love, or, or like you know yeah he she would he remember would, that restaurant date yeah remember elevators her locket would fall to the floor and it would open oh and he oh she still loved me all along yeah um but no she um shoots does, him in the face does what you should do with all exes <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah smokes him. Yes, after this business with Bennett, she shoots Dr. Petruga, and then he says, he gets up again. He says he can't kill 
someone who is already dead. Yeah, he's got um, possessed by the Chumbawamba demon. It seems that way. I got it now. I can't get down <laughs> and I get up again. Um, but they have been kind of killing, I was assuming, zombies at the start of the film. So are they all going to get up again? Maybe it was the same five people. No, I think he was just special. He was easy to be He's got appointed. some kind of like chest cavity glowing and stuff so i think maybe because he went through the portal i don't know what happened like did he go to hell and come back or did he just like go through him and everything faltered and he seems pretty cocksure like knowing that if he gets shot he'll just you know get reborn (laughs) i think perhaps he was there he was brought back to facilitate the next stage of the plan of hell which is to invade focal space and then none of them could get home. <laughs> none of them could get home. Um, but um, yeah, when he opens his uh, shirt and reveals that pulsating, glowing sort of chest cavity, it reminded me of uh, like anti-smoking adverts. <laughs> um, but you know, the doctor kicks her into hell. Not literally kicks. He, he pushes her then. Well, hell. he sort of like psychic force pushes mm. her with like a wave of energy and she goes into the portal. Do we see the doctor again? No, I don't think so. No, that's it. But she arrives in this sort of hellscape, which I thought was, I would say, moderately oppressive for uh, like a low budget film. I mean, you know, it's, 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 you got more hell than you did in the last film. So I'm, I was kind of happy. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's the most imaginative looking hellscape. It's just like rocks. And I guess there's some sort of like tendrils and some black goo hmm. floating around. All these things going to the sky. Like, if I went to hell, I'd be disappointed if it was that. <laughs> I'd want it, like, classic vintage hell, you know. What? Mm. You know, more red. Yeah, it wasn't quite the hell that we know and love. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should have had the hell from South Park. <laughs> with, like, <laughs> Satan and the Saddam Hussein. <laughs> we do get this... I thought... I always wanted to call him a hell knight, but in some of the... Things I've been reading, it is known as the um, Overlords, and he's just this tall CGI horned prick. Body cavity is just filled with flame. And he's talking Sumerian, and we get subtitles. I don't know if Joe understands what he's saying. He's saying stuff like, we're going to take the earth back, and humanity is a plague, a virus, whatever. Uh, Joe is like Whatever. Joan is like what? Joan. <laughs> he does say Joan. I know Joan. Joan, your name is Cowpole. Cowpole. Right. But yeah, for all she knows he's not talking about the annihilation of the human race. She's just like having a little introduction, like, how are you? What's up? And all those <laughs> demons running towards her, like scree- screeching, they all want to say hi. They're like yeah, puppies. They're just big fans. Yeah. But you know what? We'll, we'll, she'll never know because she decides the best course of action is to throw grenades at them. Yeah, she BFGs the overlord because mm-hmm. she has faith. She remembers her dying mother's wishes. Mm-hmm. She remembers the crucifix, and she decides to blast them all to smithereens, and uh, she leaps over a chasm of fire and launches the plasma grenades and wipes out a bunch of monsters. A portion of them. She gets back through to Earth. Through uh, a portal. Through a portal, and into the arms of the scientists in the, the secret base in Nevada, where the uh, other 
quote-unquote Stargate is. <laughs> and this was quite a weird ending, wasn't it? It just sort of ends. So she arrives, and it's a bit unexpected. Like, they had opened it expecting Dr. Petruga to come through, but she comes back instead, and they realise, oh, well, she survived. She hasn't had all of her stuff reconfigured. But... You know, they don't know what she looked like at the, mm. on the other side. Oh my god, what's happened to you? <laughs> uh, uh, oh, he's throwing up into buckets. <laughs> it's like, it's like, hey, don't, I, hey. I always look like this. Um, <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> and yeah, she just wants a stiff drink and a, probably a, a shower and a lie down. What the doctors say is different to what they do because they say we need to just analyse you to make sure that you're not, I don't know, hellspawn. But she says, no, 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 not, I'm not interested. <laughs> um, just turn off these experiments. And they then, like, they give her an injection, I think, to sort of knock her out. And then we hear growling coming from the portal, which is still open. And the screen cuts to black. And... Well, but, yeah, because the portal's still open. Because, mm. they, they, you know, they hear it reactivate. And they're like, oh, yes, this is Dr. Protruder. He's coming through because he's basically given notice saying like expect my arrival turn on the portal mm. and yeah i guess either dr protruder does come through and brings a bunch of hellspawn with him but we don't know because you know we hear growling and then yeah cut to black now i don't have a problem with an ending which ends in a sort of oh shit way but i think it really should have had either a monster bursting through or just just more of a roar at the end it was just like a but also I would have preferred it if Joan hadn't been drugged because it would have been really badass if like it was like alright I'm I'm still ready for them you can come through this portal but I'm ready for you motherfuckers um, but no it sort of just goes to credits and there's a sort of mournful music and again it's it makes her actions seem pointless if the credit music was like like rip and tear rip and tear it would have ended i think it would have been more it would have been an ending i would have enjoyed more but it does seem to just sort of end sort of apologetically yeah i i i sort of see the intention with the ending but i think maybe it's just a case of like you know editing an ending like this should get you hyped for a sequel, I think. And what's going to happen if Dina's come through? She's drugged. She will die. And the scientists, unless one of those lab coat wearing motherfuckers was like a an amazing martial artist who's going to kung fu imps to death. Um, that's pretty much game over for Earth. Well, in the interview I, I read with uh, Tony Giulio, he does have a trilogy in mind, because mm. everyone's got to have a trilogy in mind. Having talked about all this, despite that sort of limp ending, I still felt I I did enjoy this a heck of a lot, and I wouldn't I would watch it again, maybe with a beer. It was bloody, it was action packed, it was I felt a lot of fun, and not tedious like the last film. I would say that the issue I have with this film is that having promised a more faithful adaptation, it seems very much up until a point, but I'd say 90% the last movie. Yes. It's nothing, even, even outside of Doom movies, it's nothing we haven't seen before. Mm. And this time 
on even more of a budget. And that's fine. There's plenty of movies where it's Marines in space going to encounter some sort of threat. I mean, again, this is, this, is the, this is the Resident Evil movie, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, we see these movies a lot. And that's not inherently a problem. And it's not a problem with this because I think those elements, it does fine. The only thing is that I find it quite redundant that this film is made because I get the idea, oh, we wanted to make a new Doom movie to sort of yeah, make it more faithful and sort of maybe do stuff differently. But the fact that, as you said, we have a scientist and a grunt as the main characters, though different genders this time, it's the same sort of they have this bat story and the, the main grunt also has dead parents in that bat story. And it's just like it follows so many of the same beats as went before. You know, all they did was add some demons, but they kind of look just like the imps from last time. Add some fireballs, which I didn't really care for, and then have just a bit in hell at the end, which is like five minutes and doesn't really look like the hellscape that I would have maybe expected. So I liked it, and I think it does solve some of the pacing issues from the first uh, Doom movie, but I don't think it necessarily does enough different to justify its existence. Um, as being as being a counterpoint to the original Doom movie. If the original Doom movie didn't exist and this was the only Doom movie that we got, then, you know, my opinion of it would be like, okay, fine, you know, they did that and it was okay. But it's just like, if this is meant to be redressing something that the previous Doom movie got wrong, then it should have done something else or should have done more, you know, and I guess budgetary reasons would have prevented it being more hell-based and more demon-based, but... It really just felt like, oh, they did the same thing, but they just said hell a bit more this time. <laughs> well, okay, now I understand that you felt it didn't really differentiate itself enough from the last two movie, but do you think it is better or worse than the last two movie? I think it's maybe an easier watch. I think the problem is, is that every kind of pro this movie has, there's maybe something the other movie does a little bit better in the cons department. Mm -hmm. So I think it's fairly even. It's just like, it's the same Doom. It just depends what flavor of choice you want to have when you want, if you want to sit down and watch a Doom movie, it depends whether you want something with the rock in it or something which doesn't have the rock in it. Oh, that's, that's an easy call though. <laughs> I'd much rather watch But by that token, would you rather watch something which is, better paced and more straightforward and probably a bit more enjoyable mm. slightly um or would you rather watch something which i don't know has a fist fight at the end i'm not sure it's just like i think i would sooner yeah. watch this one annihilation than the original okay but i don't think i'm in a rush to see any of them anytime soon <laughs> yeah but um but yeah i think this is more in the upper tier of the films we've watched so far on the podcast, whereas Doom 2005, for me, is a bit lower down that list. Okay. I think they're same level, and it just depends what time of day, how you're feeling, <laughs> you know, which one you would prefer in any instance. Cool. The That was Doom for now. This <laughs> is which will be the next sequel. Maybe we'll do that um, Masters of Doom uh, drama you were telling me about. Yeah, maybe so. But... What are we going to do next on Games on Film? To mark the release of Pokemon Sword and Shield on Nintendo Switch, it's about time that we did another Pokemon movie, because 
by golly, there's plenty to do. We're going to be tackling Pokemon 3, the movie. But in the meantime, you can find us online on our website, gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast. We're also on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at gamesonfilmpod. And you can email us, gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com. Uh, Harry, how can people get in touch? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter at onlymanwhocan. And I'm on Twitter at Rory Steele. And the music for this episode was composed by David Lightfoot. And you can find all episodes of Games on Film online. We're on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast. So please like, rate, review, and subscribe. Mm-hmm. And you can find links to where you can support the show on our aforementioned website. You can throw us a little donation through Coffee Co. Fi, or uh, you can find our Amazon wish list where you can purchase a film for us and we will watch it on the podcast. Lovely, jubbly, as they say in Doom. <laughs> <laughs> well, so until next time, stay safe. <laughs> Always wear a helmet. Always wear a helmet. I've been Harry. I've been Rory. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.